Welcome to the Bruins Benders Podcast. It is season one. It is episode two, our second episode. And thanks for joining us. Many thanks to everyone who listened to the first episode of the Bruins Benders Podcast. Really appreciate it. It's presented by Anchor. And you can follow us on social media at Bruins Benders. And also send us an email, BruinsBenders at gmail.com. I'm Maddie, and my co-host dreams about riding the Samboni. It's Smitty. <laughs> I do. I do. I want to wave to the crowd. I want to sit up there. You know what I'd like to do is I'd like to drink a couple beers while I'm riding the Zamboni. Is that is that illegal? Uh, that I think it's illegal. You know what? I've driven with you, and I think it would be the shortest intermission. You <laughs> <laughs> zipping around that thing. Yeah, we have a special guest today from the Boston Sports Journal. Connor Ryan joins us. Connor, always good to have you. Thanks for having me. Good to be talking hockey with you guys again. Awesome. So this past week, uh, you know, the Bruins had a very tough week. They had you know, two games with Florida and a game with Carolina. Two of them were on the road. Florida and Carolina, probably the two best teams in the Eastern Conference right now, struggled in the first game there at Florida. They have an excellent line with Barkov and Kuberdo, two very underrated players, two excellent players offensively. And the Bruins struggles. And a lot of their struggles are 5 on 5 in the past. But now the power play has been really a struggle. And I just want to get your assessment on how the Bruins were doing. And, you know, and that back in the, if you can think back to that Florida game, uh, you know, really just had a hard time generating any type of offense. Yeah, no, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. You know, as much as the Bruins over the years have had struggles with secondary scoring, you know, finding kind of the right fit on that second line, whether it was, you know, before Taylor Hall arrived or now that David Krejci's gone, like you, you've had those kind of issues before. But in years past, you usually have been helped out by the fact that even with these kind of lineup shuffles you've had the top line being the top line you've had that power play clicking at a pretty effective rate and that's kind of covered up some of those flaws you know there's been times where there's been close games and they able to get two points off of a power play goal or that first line kind of uh being as advertised you haven't really seen that as much this year which is kind of concerning and it's one maybe an indictment on the fact that if those two strengths that top line and the power play aren't clicking the kind of the rest of the the framework of the team kind of falls apart and i i think you look at this past week and as much as you don't want to get too carried away with you know play over the first you know month of the season it is concerning to see them you know struggling in that area where as you said i mean bruce cassidy himself said that it was pretty much going to be a measuring stick game between uh them and florida and carolina and really struggled to get much of anything offensively going and sure you could put some silver linings on the fact that you know let's say the carolina game uh you know both carolina's goals bounce off of bruins players you know could have been anyone's game that was more or less what cassidy's mantra was afterwards but i think you look within the, the short term within the lens of this last couple of games yeah, if that top line and that power play isn't clicking at this level, which I imagine down the road they will, then this team's in trouble. You know, they, they've got to sort some of those things out, especially in the power play where you're seeing a lot of uncharacteristic, you know, execution, not a lot of good pace, especially up high. Pasternak's kind of deferring on shots. So a lot to kind of sort through that can be corrected. But in the short term for right now, clearly wasn't good enough against the best in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it looked like they took Hall off the uh, the top unit and put Riley out there at some point, kind of to see if they could jumpstart something. They've been mixing and matching the lines a little bit. You know, Pasternak goes down to uh, the second line. Smith, when he came in, you know, goes up to the top line. You know, what's your take on what they're doing to try to juggle the lines to gain a little offense? And then also, what's your take on how the defense has been kind of early in the season? Yeah, I think in terms of especially splitting up, you know, the the Bergeron line, we've seen it happen before, obviously, where, you know, mid-game shuffle, they try to shake things up, see if they get a spark. I still don't think we're going to get to the level where, you know, Cassidy commits to it for a full game. You know, like, I don't think we're ever going to, at least for right now, we're going to get to a point where, you know, we're at morning skate and it's going to be, you know, Smith on the first line and, you know, there's that. I think it's still more or less like the emergency switch. You know, it's break glass in case for emergency. That's how they kind of view breaking up the Bergeron line for right now. But in terms of the thinking behind it, it made sense, at least for that game. I mean, as much as Smith isn't the shooter that, you know, Pasternak is, he's still very simplified game, good two-way player. You put him with another group of excellent two-way guys and Bergeron and Marchand, you hope the production doesn't fall off. And by extension, you put Pasternak with that second line, you hope that gives them a, a legitimate weapon to to work with. Didn't really work out that much in, in the game against Florida, but uh, we'll see how they kind of build off of that moving forward. I imagine on Thursday against Detroit, you're going to have the usual 
suspects back out there. But as you said, I think the biggest issue right now is figuring out what to do with the defense because, you know, safe to say the only set pairing that I think Cassie is comfortable with and what I imagine most Bruins fans are comfortable with is McAvoy and Grizzly, which isn't much of a surprise in terms of just their baseline production. I mean, no crap. Like, you've got two great puck movers together. You put them with the Bergeron line. Generally, good things are going to happen. The issue is, is what happens when you overload that top pairing. You've got, you know, Fulbert and Clifton, or you've got Riley and Carlo, who looked good last year, but been uh, pretty shaky so far this season. So that's kind of the bigger issue, I think, for the Bruins right now is figuring out where those pieces fall into place because I'm sure Bruce Cassidy would love to keep Grizzly and McAvoy together for extended stretches, but at this point, it's got to be only when, you know, you're you're chasing uh, chasing a deficit or what have you because I don't think you can keep Fulbert with Clifton and Riley and Carlo seems like they need to be split up. So kind of finding that proper balance is going to be key for them because right now there's too many weak links on that defense, especially just in terms of how the combinations are working out. Just to finish up that Florida game, they, they had a good first period. They outshot Florida 15-5. Coiled Banks went in. Uh, they gave up a goal. They lose a puck battle, give up a goal, which was unfortunate. But then the second period was a disaster. And I think we've seen this, you know, not all the time, but in recent years, there's games that come out strong in the first period. That second period lull has been something that's affected them over the years. And 14 to 2 getting outshot by, by Florida and just having a real bad second period. And then they had to try to, it was almost like the first period, they come out, play well. And in the third period, when they're desperate, come out, play well. Second period, just wasn't very good. Yeah, I mean, you could also make the same argument with the Carolina game where I think in the third, it was a little bit more even. I think the Bruins were pushing more. But again, when you're this team and your power play is not clicking and your top line is not performing like they're they're supposed to, it makes it that much harder that a one-goal deficit at this point feels like four, right, the way they're struggling. So uh, looking especially at that Florida game, you know, as you said, you start off really strong, you control play for most of it, and then you let kind of that, that breakdown happen where Marshman scored on, well, it was pretty much a 2-1-5. I mean, you lose a puck battle, you know, along the boards, and all of a sudden he's left kind of uncovered there in the slot, uh, it's demoralizing. I mean, it's one thing to carry play and only, you know, go back to the locker room and being a one nothing lead. It's another thing entirely when you won, you're not really rewarded for your play. And also you give up a goal late that kind of takes the air out of your sails, which I think is kind of what was the case there. And it kind of just snowballs. And Bruce Cassidy mentions that the veterans in the room try to, you know, stay positive, focus on the next goal at hand, because if not, it can kind of snowball. But you kind of saw that happen against Florida, which is a team that you can't let up. I mean, you kind of mentioned early on in the segment that a Florida team could have, you know, an empty stool coaching them and they could probably still win the president's trophy. I mean, that team is, that team is loaded. Um, so you can't take your foot off the gas. You can't let a, a freebie like Marshman score, you know, kind of negate the momentum you have. And that was the case. So for the Bruins, it's not going to work against a team like Florida and you're not going to pile on points, you know, at a steady clip. If you keep on kind of letting those quality stats kind of go to the wayside, we have to stop playing catch up because right now the way this team's clicking, you know, as I said, one goal deficit feels like a whole lot more the way they're playing right now. On to the Carolina game. Again, no offense. Lose 3 nothing. Like you said, a couple of bad breaks with, you know, pucks going in off Carlo and Forbort. But again, not a whole lot there. They have a five on three late that pasta is kind of a little too one on one, kind of lazy with the puck. So the power play lets them down there when they had a chance maybe to get back into the game. So what were your thoughts on the on the Carolina game? Yeah, I think it was um, kind of, as you said, Carolina's a great team. They're effective in the fact that they're so aggressive on the four check, which I think gave the Bruins a lot of trouble. I think you saw especially it's one thing where I think the Bruins defense has quite a few flaws. And we saw that last year in the postseason against the Islanders. And it's something I'm sure we'll talk about months from now when we get to the playoffs is, is this team, especially defensively equipped to make it through a playoff series. Well, even in a game like this, where they usually matched up well against Carolina, which likes to play a little bit faster. You had guys like Grizzlick, McAvoy, Riley, really hampered by just their forecheck and the way they struggled to break the puck out, which is pretty concerning uh, when you look at just uh, the way they're equipped and how they should be able to counter some of that with how well they move the puck. So that's concerning on the defensive end. Uh, again, you've had more breakdowns offensively you had nothing going i mean the power play was really really bad in that that game in carolina i think they were over five you you waste two five on three chances and a lot of it cassidy said it was a lot of you know predictability and just not moving the puck uh, well enough you know as much as people you know what make the highlight reels when the bruins power play is clicking it's you know the pasta knock one time or it's bergeron you know firing a puck from the bumper a lot of their offense and a lot of what makes those great a chances is you know moving the puck uh with authority getting that defense stretching it out you know getting those second 
second chance looks, winning puck battles. Don't see much of that. You see a lot of, you know, fumbling with the puck up high, a lot of, you know, passing back and forth, trying to find that perfect steam. You know, sometimes it's all about just feeding it down low and kind of making things happen. I mean, that's why as much as I think McAvoy deserved to get that first, you know, look on the top power play unit. That's why I wouldn't mind them giving Grizzly a little bit of a, a look up there as well. Granted, McAvoy scores a goal, you know, against uh, Florida on Saturday. But as much as maybe Grizzly isn't as talented offensively as McAvoy, I think he does a good job at the puck gets back up to him on the offensive blue line. Feeds it back down low right away. Like he can read well. He has a good kind of chemistry with Pasternak. And sometimes that's what you need. You know, it's, you don't have to be the, the guy generating the offense on the blue line. If you're on that power play, sometimes the best thing to do, feed it back down low and you're feeding it to Pasternak, Marshan, Bergeron, pretty good crew of guys to feed it back to that. Sometimes you let them kind of take care of business. So uh, power play really concerning uh, defense was concerning. The only kind of positive from that game I took from it was uh, Jeremy Swayman played pretty well. You know, again, two goals off of, you know, pucks deflected off of Bruins skaters uh, coming off of, you know, his first real stinker a game against Philly uh, over a week ago. You're always concerned, especially for young goalies, to have a game like that, have some time off and worry about it kind of snowballing. Wasn't the case with Swayman. He looked poised. He looked like kind of the Swayman that been accustomed to seeing so far during his short time in the NHL. So then Florida at home, and that was a game, obviously, early in the season. You don't want to talk about must wins, and that's kind of silliness, but they came out a little bit more desperate in the first. They played better, more physicality. Guys like Lazar and, and Coyle, who, who, had a great, who had a really good week and has had a pretty, pretty good start to the season, which they really need, came out with some physicality and, and started to set the tone a bit. And then, you know, of course, they, they get that goal. Lazar and Hall and Coyle are sort of a weird combination. Yep. They come up with the goal that, to, you know, to get them going. And then again, bad line change, three on two, Duclair goes around four boards, the goal, and it's one to one. And then, of course, the power play. And you know what? I don't know if it's been three or four times this year that when the Bruins go on the kill, the other team scores immediately. Yeah. Immediately. And they leave Barkov alone for one timer and it's in the net. And then, of course, McAvoy comes back with a huge power play goal, great pass by Marshand, and then they get the shootout win. But it would just seem like one of those games that they, even though they aren't their best, they grinded it out. The veterans sort of came through and they were able to get the win. Yeah, no, it was key. I mean, as you said, don't want to label anything must win, but in terms of, you know, stopping the bleeding, uh, in terms of making a statement win against a Florida team that was 8-0 at the time of them arriving at the Garden on Saturday. As you said, maybe it wasn't always pretty, but you did enough to win. You relied on your skill. I mean, even McAvoy said after that that game that, you know, he scores a power play goal, but in terms of the positioning, it was all out of whack, right? Like McAvoy's at, you know, get a backdoor feed. Everyone's kind of out of position, but you know what? When you have Brad Marsh, showing the puck on his stick, you have guys down low. Sometimes you just need the skill to take over as opposed to the structure. And that's what happened there. Um, good response from, you know, guys like McAvoy, who I thought really kind of struggled in the first, especially to, to bounce back. I mean, Barkov scores that power play goal. Uh, you know, McAvoy responds to that big hit that kind of wakes up the crowd. Then you get a power play goal uh, shortly after that. And as much as I think, you know, it wasn't a, a flashy win or, or what have you, and there's still, you know, a lot of pieces that need to be sorted out, whether it's the D pairs or maybe, you know, fixing some things on the power play or the penalty kill. I still think there's plenty of stuff to build off of. I mean, you look at Coyle scores another goal from that angle, which just the fact that he's scoring goals and is being productive uh, is a step in the right direction. Even though he didn't score in those two games on the road uh, in Florida and Carolina, I thought DeBrusque had a couple of good games down there where he was regularly being aggressive towards the net. So as much as you look at a, a one, you know, a one and two record over these games against good opponents, I think there's still positives to build off of. Like even when they're, you know, they're playing their B game for most of a game like that, they're still able to kind of grind out it and get a win against a quality opponent, which should help them kind of build off of it. Like the whole start of the season is already kind of out of whack in terms of how many days off they have, the quality of competition they're facing out of the gate. It's tough. I mean, it's tough for any team, but especially one like the Bruins that has so many new faces, new personnel, new kind of systems in place to kind of work on that. When it's one thing if, you know, you're working on the power play and you're playing Detroit or Ottawa or, or a team like that or Buffalo. It's another thing when it's, you know, Florida, you don't really have that much time. Like, let's say, like, for example, Sidneka, like, good luck, you know, getting up to the NHL level. Hey, are you going to play against Carolina and Florida? Two teams you mess up, they're going to bury you <laughs> real, real quick. Like, it's not a very easy kind of start to the season for the Bruins. So for them to come back after that, you know, short road trip to, to gut out two points against uh, Florida was huge just for their confidence in terms of just stopping the bleeding and kind of building that more momentum as hopefully the schedule sets to level out a little bit here. So we do a segment called Seven Chirps. We're going to give you seven questions and uh, we'll start it right here. So in okay. honor of Halloween, socks have rally cups. Feel like the bees need a rally candy. What should it be? 
Oh man, that's tough. Cause like my, <laughs> if I was going to say like what the actual, like the best option is, it would be peanut butter cups, but okay. like they've already taken it. Like I, I'm, I hope we're all in agreement that that is the king of candy. Like it is. Oh man. Wow. Well, it can't be candy corn because Nick Felino <laughs> is adamant about that. And I mean, no. great guy, veteran yeah. presence, you know, yeah. hopefully he's back in the lineup soon. Terrible take. Yeah. Um, Terrible evaluative candy. Oh yes. man. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, peanut M&Ms. You know, okay. I think, I think okay. you can have a handful of them. They're addictive. They're great. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think anyone like has any issues with peanut M&Ms. Like there's, you know, there's sometimes people don't like Twix. They don't like Snickers bars. Right. Peanut M&Ms, no one's going to raise an issue about it. So grab a handful of that and that'll be the new rally no. candy. All right. Unless it kills you. Yeah. I was going to say, unless you're going to, you know, anaphylactic yeah, shock actually, or something. That's a strong point. So please do not ingest if you're allergic. However, <laughs> right. yeah. that, I think it's, it's a rally point. candy for everybody that can eat them. Everyone else. Exactly. Plain M&Ms. A disclaimer. A little, yeah. little red tape across. Yeah. Yeah. Plain M&Ms. M&Ms or pretzel M&Ms or some other crap. Exactly. That's yeah. a good thing about M&Ms. You can, you can reverse course very yeah. quickly. Plenty there you go. Options available for you. Yeah. I'll tell you what's sneaky good are those pumpkins, those Reese's pumpkins. They're almost better than the cups because they're full peanut butter. I mean, it's all peanut butter. I mean, butter. It, it's so, the same thing as like when they get around like the holiday season. They got the Christmas tree ones also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You can't. Oh, God. Again, yeah. it's the most wonderful time of the year. Like, yeah. That's why, that's why Reese's <laughs> is the king. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so question number two, chirp number two, should Nesson allow their announced team to travel back on the road again? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for just from uh, the fan perspective, like if you're paying, you know, regional, you know, fees, whatever for this network, if you're trying to get the best coverage, how is it helpful one for the broadcast crew and for the fans, if they're watching it through the same screen you are like, I mean, anyone who's been to a live hockey game knows sometimes where the play develops is not what the camera captures, right? Like it's, you know, it's not right. a good product and it's not what I'm sure Jack Edge or Andy Brickley want when they're watching through the same screen you you are where they don't know they lose track of who the player is you know they, they don't want to do that that's embarrassing for them and it's not good for the the fans itself when they're playing the same amount of catch-up as you are so yeah really bad look um it was inevitable after the, the pandemic that teams were going to do this or networks were going to do this in terms of, you know, limiting guys getting on the road. But you look at kind of the long-term view of it, like it, the product has clearly suffered because of it. And it's not fair to anyone involved, especially the fans who are trying to, who aren't on the road, obviously, like they're trying to get the same amount of coverage as, or the best uh, coverage as possible. So it's, it's a real tough look. And it's, it's unfortunate for, for Jack and Brick who aren't able to kind of get that level of access that kind of comes with the gig, right? So number three, should the Bruins keep Craig Smith or put him on the top line and then maybe drop pasta down? Uh, I will give them, uh, I'd say another week or two, just uh, let them sort out their things in terms of the Bergeron line. Like as, as tempting as it is, and we go through it every single year about whether or not they should do it. And listen, there's valid points for it. I mean, we could, you know, look at this team in January and let's say Pasternak's on the second line and he's, you know, cashing in on one timers off of, you know, a, a feed from Taylor Hall and be like, well, why didn't they do this earlier? Right? Like it very well could work out down the road. But uh, I think you look at the way the Bergeron line, you know, their track record, even though they're not burying their chances. Uh, Bruce Cassidy seems encouraged by, as a whole, how their play is. Uh, a lot of their flaws are stuff that seems to be easily correctable. Like, I don't think Posner's going to keep on deferring on some of these grade A looks. I don't think Marchand is either. And it's something that has been addressed. Like Cassidy has mentioned that they need Posner and Marchand to shoot more, which we look at just the way they hold Ozone possession and all, all the kind of the strengths of their game. Keep on doing that sooner or later. The puck luck and the chances are going to fall your way. So I imagine they stay with it for now. But uh, let's check in another week or so and see how they're doing because if it keeps on then you might have to do some major adjustments because the way the the rest of the lineup is kind of treading water right now you're going to need some definite five on five production pretty soon all right chirp number four how much do you think the uh kind of the odd schedule has affected the bruins where you know the league starts on tuesday they don't play till saturday then they get all these days i mean it's kind of a been a really weird schedule kind of early in the season Oh, yeah. I think it's been brutal. I mean, not just from the fact that players are probably sitting around waiting to get started. I mean, you had that huge gap between the end of the preseason to the start of the regular season. But even now, the stop and go, like we're in a four day off kind of uh, schedule right now. They've got a a five day break, I think, later on this month. Like, I think they have a, a crazy kind of stop and go. And that's not good for the players in terms of, you know, working on the chemistry on an actual game setting of the coaches being able to evaluate players, but also like it's also the risk of injury, right? In terms of doing that stop and go zero to 60 all this time. Like, it's something I think Brad Martian mentioned. Granted, 
different circumstances, but, you know, the extended gap they had during the COVID pandemic where, you know, you stop playing in March and it goes all the way to later into the summer. But even over a shorter stretch of like a week to do that stop and go zero to 60 isn't good for any of these players, especially, you know, a guy like Felino or Smith or any of these kind of older players that, you know, they can't, they can't deal with the, the, uh, the rigors of going on, on a schedule like that. So uh, it's brutal right now. And it's going to be brutal again in March and April when, all right, they're gearing up for a playoff run. You got what, I think it's 15 games in 28 days in yeah. April, like not the best way to kind of <laughs> ease yourself into a, a, a playoff gauntlet. Right. So yeah. whichever way you slice it, uh, it's pretty brutal. Like there's no like silver lining of like, well, it gets, you know, the last two weeks, of the regular season, it's kind of some time off. No, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a sprint to the finish line. And then you've got months of playoff hockey, hopefully. Now chart number five has Linus Almark made a case that he's the number one goalie. Uh, I think he's been steady. Uh, I think he's gotten a little bit better as, as time has gone on, which I think is what the Bruins kind of mapped out. I still think it's, uh, pretty much a 50-50 split. Uh, Bruce Cassidy mentioned on Sunday that Omar has four stats, Swayman has three, which is kind of how they mapped it out, but they're not ready to make any sweeping declarations of, you know, will be a 60-40 split down the road, what have you, of Omar versus Swayman. I think most of it just because of the lack of reps. Like, you have Swayman, who looked pretty solid against Dallas, was not good against Philly, and then bounces back, even though they have a loss against Carolina. Like, I think you need to give both those guys about seven, eight stops before you can actually build a legitimate, you know, track record. And we've seen this before, how much of a, a fruitless effort it is to kind of, you know, gauge goaltending because it's so fickle and it can change so rapidly. But I think if you're trying to form any sort of narrative or, or trend, at least it seems like Omar's getting a little bit better. You're not seeing as much of the, the lateral issues. You're not seeing as much of the rebound problems that you saw, especially like in the preseason where, you keep on saying like, all right, it's preseason, it's preseason, but some concerning kind of uh, goals or, or miscues there for him. He's tightened it up a little bit, which is good, but uh, right now I think it's still 50-50 split between those guys until one of them really kind of takes uh, takes the mantle, which for the Bruins who preach, you know, internal competition, it's good to have both those guys still kind of competing for that top spot. Chirp number six, who is your biggest surprise so far this season? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, let's see. I would say... Uh, it can be a negative one because I'm surprised. No, that's no, that, no, you, no, it can't be because that's the next question. <laughs> save, save that for question chirp number seven. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then, you know, what? I'm going to go with uh, even though he hasn't been rewarded, maybe on the, the score here now, I'd say I've been encouraged by DeBrusque. He's had a few uh, blips where he's had, you know, sometimes the back checking has been a little bit suspect or I think, you know, the game against Philly, he kind of floated a little bit. But I think for him, even though I think they still need to figure out what the best kind of arrangement on that third line is. I think you're seeing the positive signs from a guy who looks like he's engaged a lot more, especially compared to last year. And we've talked about, you know, the, the issues he had last year, both on the ice, off the ice, all those things. He seems like a guy that, you know, DeBrusque, when he's playing well, he's not going to be this guy who's going to be dangling guys or this super flashy guy, but he doesn't need to be. Like, he's good when he's driving to the net, when he's, you know, getting second chance opportunities, you know, deflecting pucks, tipping them. And he's doing that. I mean, he's getting into great AIs. He's hovering around there. He's being engaged. And if he plays like that over the span of 82 games, he's going to get the 15, potentially 20 goals that you imagine he's going to get. And maybe he's not the 30 goal scorer that Bruins fans thought he was going to be a few years ago, but especially in the third line, if he's giving you 15, 20 goals, 35, 40 points, that can go a long way to kind of balancing out the rest of that secondary scoring, which you're going to need. I mean, look at how much that third line was rudderless last year. Like you have, you know, him scoring 20 goals in that spot, it makes a world of a difference. So even though maybe it's not like he's off to a start of, you know, four goals in seven games, what have you, I think the Bruins have to be encouraged by the fact that he seems pretty active and engaged in his role right now. And I think keeping him on the left side has also made a world of a difference for him. All right. Trip seven, you guessed it. Biggest disappointment. Yeah, I would say the power play. I mean, as much as the, the Bergeron line hasn't maybe been scoring as much and uh, you know, there's a lot of fancy stuff stats and graphs that you can point to to be like, well, they're still holding ozone possession. They're still getting chances. Once the puck starts falling their way, they're going to start tilting the ice in their favor again. Uh, power play, you're not really seeing much of anything in terms of, you know, silver linings. Of course, McAvoy scores, which takes some of the heat off of them. But I think you look at the fact they're not moving the puck really with authority. Uh, you're looking at not a lot of sustained grade A looks.
looks like even uh, before that game against the Panthers on Saturday, you can make the argument that that second unit with, you know, the guys like uh, Grizzlick and, and Riley have done a little bit of a better job of just holding ozone possession. Like you're not really seeing a lot of the puck, you know, leaking out, having to kind of reset and all the, all those things. Like you're seeing more steady ozone presence, which usually leads to more goals, right? As opposed to keep on recycling and restarting all over again. So uh, I think it's definitely been a disappointment based on just the personnel they have. I mean, Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, McAvoy, Taylor Hall, that seems like a, that's a dream team kind of lineup, right? So the fact they haven't, you know, I, I don't think you were expecting them to be like the Edmonton Oilers, right? Where they're almost, you know, cashing in on half of their chances. But to not see kind of that lack of cohesion and the lack of execution, especially, I think has been pretty disappointing out of the gate. You know, I think part of it is they could really use a playmaker. And last year, after they lost Tory Krug, and they put, they struggled some, and they put David Krejci in there. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it clicked. And he yep. made all sorts of plays. He got he got the puck to the bumper with Bergeron. He got it to the left-wing circle with the one-timer from Pasternak. He was getting people the puck where they needed to. I don't know if they have that playmaker type. As much as we love Bergeron, he's not really a mm-hmm. playmaker. I mean, Krejci was an elite playmaker. So, and, 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 that hurt. Yeah, and I think also you look at as much as people say like how good Krug was operating up high, I think one of the good things that he did is that he was so engaged and so like, you know, geared into what the rest of his teammates' tendencies were that, okay, we're going to take away Bergeron on the bumper. You know, Krug would move off the blue line to get to the half wall and, you know, open up those seam feeds. And, and they were able to kind of improv on the fly to kind of counter that PK uh, structure that a team would have that they could, you know, switch around, you know, the personnel and it would still work. Right now, if they're taking away Bergeron on the bumper, if they're, you know, teams are taking away some of their strengths, they're kind of, you know, either operating up high, not knowing what to do, or they're kind of scuttling in terms of how to solve it. So, yeah, as you said, like a playmaker or a guy that that is more geared into the tendency of his teammates. It's kind of hurting them for right now in terms of just being able to improv on the fly. Now, Smitty and I each have a whipping boy, we like to call him. We kind of get on a guy that he might be a pretty good player, but he just kind of irritates us some. I have Trent Frederick, who in seven games is a one assist, minus one, no shots the last two games. And then Smitty has Connor Clifton. He doesn't like Cliffy hockey. No, not a fan not of Cliffy hockey at all. <laughs> minus three, five games, two scratches. Actually came back after the scratch and played decently. I did. I thought I thought Saturday by far, by far was his best game. And, you know, it was after a healthy scratch. So we'll see. But I mean, I don't believe he really gives you much of anything. <laughs> Honestly, I, I really don't. I mean, I mean, maybe a little bit of physicality, but I think you could find any other guy that could probably do and that. I, think I mean, Frederick is a is a forward version of Cliffy because I think he's kind of the same thing. You know, some some hits, not a great skater, you know, and I know he's a fourth liner, so we can't get to but. One of the issues that Bruins fans had and, and the Bruins as a whole was the bottom six scoring and the bottom six production. So if you could put a guy out there and one night they had, you know, they had Coleman Frederick bleed and none of them ever score a goal. And none right. of them ever do anything offensively. So that, that leads to another, you know, the same sort of problem. And I think that that's what sort of irritates me. Do you have a guy, and I know you cover the team, so it's sort of a delicate subject, but do you have a guy that you're like, geez, you know, I wish they'd get a little bit more out of him or, or that type of thing. A little irritation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think both Frederick and, and Clifton are great examples of that. I would say, say right now, a lot of that for me probably is focused on, on Frederick because I think he's a guy that not only you not getting kind of the same. I mean, I think every Bruins fan was impressed of how he started last year where sure fans love to see him, you know, beat the crap out of a guy like, you know, Brennan Tanev, like he did at the stop. But, but beyond that, Frederick was so good last year, just being like a fly in the ointment, right? Like guy was just driving guys crazy, was drawing penalties, getting them on the power play where they were cashing in quite a bit. Like those are the little things that help out quite a bit, especially on the fourth line. But also this team's, as you said, they're looking for more scoring and Frederick's a guy that sure. Is he, should he have been a first round pick? Probably not. But, right. you know, you're not looking for a guy of, of his potential to be over, let's say, an 82 game span, be like a four goal, like, you know, five assist guy. And again, you're not saying he should be scoring 20 goals. He should be like what an Achari or something is, right? Of like, you know, 10, 12 goals, you know, get you hopefully around 20 points. Like he has the potential to do that. And you're not seeing that right now. And I think for him, it's kind of the, you're weighing, you know, should I be overly physical? Should I, you know, should I have a game plan of what I'm looking for? And what Cassidy said for Frederick is you can't, 
can't go into it, you know, first day in, in prison, like I got to find the biggest guy and punch him in the face. Like that shouldn't be his, that shouldn't be his ma- mantra, right? It should be right. being physical, being engaged and letting kind of that conflict kind of come to him, right? Where it's all right. You, you land a heavy check on the four check, play stops. You start, you know, throwing a chirp out once in a while. Like that's how it kind of builds organically and naturally. And that's how he kind of gets under the skin of these opponents. If he's just going around trying to fight Ovechkin, like you kind of saw later on in the year where, you know, teams, especially stars were like, I'm not fighting. I'm not, I'm not dealing with you. Like we know, you know, the book's kind of out on you. You got to find ways to impact the game other ways. So whether that's being effective on the forecheck, burying goals, which is a good way to get teams to notice you. I think he needs to do more of that of simplifying, you know, playing a physical game and letting the kind of the puck come to him and, and forcing, you know, play that way as opposed to running around trying to kind of stir stuff when other teams aren't going to engage you if you're just looking for trouble. I mean, I think there's a perfect guy for him to kind of emulate in Thomas Nosek. I mean, that's ideally what you want out of Frederick. I mean, he drives the net. He takes the body. He's a big body. Throws his weight around. He chips in offensively. I mean, he's been a he's been a real nice surprise so far for them uh, early in the season. So a little segment we like to do here is be- we call beauties and benders. Beauties, you know, guys who have played you know, really well. And then benders, guys who just had a really difficult time. So my three benders, we do, we usually do top three benders. My three benders, number three, and I'm going to, it's controversial, I know, but I'm going to put Patrice Bergeron in there. And Face it, you're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. And I'm a little concerned about Bergeron in that I haven't found him to be all that noticeable. Uh, obviously, he's played a ton of hockey. He's played a lot of playoff intense hockey in his life. Uh, he's an older 35, 36, whatever he is. And he's even mentioned or not even or insinuated that retirement's around the corner at some point. I think he looks a little slow at times. And, and again, no fault of his. So I have I have Burger on there. And of course, Trent Frederick. Face it. You're a neo-maxi zoom dweeby. This is my second bender, and my number one bender this past week, anyway, was was Eric Holla. Face it, you're a neo-maxi zoom dweeby. Because he's he's a minus four right now, I think. He is. He's yep. been around the puck, and he's been around the net, but he's missed opportunities. And I know he's not a goal, you know, a, you know, a real big time goal scorer, but he's missed some big opportunities around the net. Been on the ice for some goals, so those are my three benders for the past week. All right, so my three benders for the week. Can't pick Connor Clifton every week. So uh, number three, I'm going to go with Mike Riley. Face it, you're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. Uh, I thought he struggled this week against, you know, good four-checking teams. So uh, he's number three. Number two, I have Pasta. Face it. You're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. For some of those mistakes on the five-on-three, he's looked a little disinterested. He's bobbling the puck. He's a little unsure of himself, it seems, you know, deferring, like you said. So he's had some of those kind of issues. You know, I'd like to get him to get his uh, swagger back, shooting the puck a little bit more. And my number one bender is Taylor Hall. Face it. You're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. Who I thought also hasn't really been particularly noticeable floating around. I mean, he did have the one good, the assist with Coil uh, on that play. But other than that, you know, you know, you haven't really noticed him out on the ice. He's not, he's not really getting the zone entries. He hasn't really been doing much of anything. So uh, I like to see him, you know, kind of get going, develop some more chemistry with Coil and either Smith or whoever the right wing is. So Connor, who are your three benders? <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go. I'll take uh, Clifton. Face it. You're a neo-maxi-zoom dweeby. Uh, I have also... <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Not, not to echo your sentiment, but <laughs> right. yeah, I think he has been uh, very disappointing. He said responded pretty well after getting scratched, but as much as maybe, you know, that third pairing uh, spot on the right side wasn't like a, a top off-season priority for this team, I still think like it would have made a world of a difference to sign even like a, you know, like a Yanni Hockenpah, one of these like six five big guys that just hits everything that moves. Like I think even like Kevin Miller when he was healthy, like sometimes just having a guy like that who is steady, was physical, is what he needed out of that role. And sure, you know, Clifton will have his highlight reels. Like he'll, you know, make a great play jumping off the blue line or he'll lay out a big hit, but he's something in between. He's something in between like the, that 17 minutes of ice time he gives you every night. And you haven't really seen it so far. And um, Cassidy kind of mentioned that, sure, you know, as much as you encourage him to be active, his top goal is still defending at the end of the day. And that's kind of where he's been exposed quite a bit on the early going. So uh, I think he needs to tighten things up. Number two, I'll go with, uh, I'll, kind of go off the same boat with Pasternak. Face it. 
You're a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. I think it's been pretty concerning for him. It's one thing of, you know, let's say like Martian, who I think always thinks pass first anyway. So some of his defer- deferring from shooting, frustrating, but you kind of, you know, it's the method of the madness in terms of how he wants to operate. Uh, you're seeing that from Pasternak, though, of, you know, turnovers or deferring that isn't very characteristic of him. Like the turnovers, you kind of, you know, you take the good with the bad with how, you know, dynamic he is. But a lot of the deferring, not what you want to see out of a guy that, you know, had it not been for COVID, probably would have hit 50 goals uh, at some point over these last couple of uh, seasons. So uh, he needs to really kind of uh, ramp up, get back to his strengths, because especially right now where you've got to sort out that offense, you need a guy like Pasternak, who's kind of that game breaker with that one-timer, and you haven't really seen it yet. Um, and then number one I'll probably go with is, uh, i go with Derek Fulbert. Face it, you're a neo-maxi Zoom dweeby. Who I think, if used effectively and within his role, can be you know, useful on this decor. I don't think he was, you know, Bruins fans were looking at, all right, if he's going to play with McAvoy, maybe he's kind of the, the missing, you know, key to that team. I don't think he's anything like that. I think he is what he is as a stay-at-home guy, um, can contribute on the penalty kill, but he's had quite a few lapses here where he's been exposed. I mean, as you said, the Duclair goal where he kind of walks in, you know, gets past them, gets that shot off. Um, other kind of sequences like that where he's really kind of struggled against faster skaters and um, you kind of take the good and bad with a guy like Fulbert, but for right now, especially where I think the Bruins is still trying to sort out where these kind of uh, D pairs best kind of work out and the combinations that work. Fulbert's been a guy that if it doesn't work out in terms of who he's with, it usually leads to some pretty rough results. So you got to find a way to best utilize him and him fast. All right. So beauties, three beauties, three guys who did really well this past week. Number three for me, I'm going to let Linus Allmark slide in there because I thought Saturday he really helped them to the win. The Barkov goal and the power play, you can't do anything about. And then he got better as the game went on, kept a minute in the third until McAvoy scored, and then shut the door on the shootout. I mean, he was very good in the shootout, and that's a very talented team with talented goal scorers, and uh, he sort of, he really helped them to that win, so I, I like Linus Allmark at number three. Number two, Charlie Coyle, I thought was very good. He's scoring, he's producing, he's doing, I think, what everybody felt he needed to do after the departure of David Krejci. Uh, and they need more from it from Coyle. Last year was one of those years he was hurt. He needed surgery. You know, he had a real down year production-wise. This is the type of player he has been before that with the Bruins, and, and hopefully it continues. And then number one, I thought Charlie McAvoy was very good, too. He scored that goal. He did have that one two-on-one, didn't shoot it, and he tried to pass it across. He needs to be, you know, I've said this before, he needs to be a 50-point guy, you know, if he's going to make $9.5 million. He needs to be that type of guy. He needs to be up near Adam Fox, and who just got 9.5, and and Kel McCarr and those guys. He needs to be up near there and not a 30 point guy and that's the type of play I think he has to make going forward but I thought overall McAvoy has really has really been a pillar back there because it's been a mess and I think it you know if it wasn't for him this could really be a difficult start to the season so those are my three all right so my three are uh Anton Bleed Oscar Steen and Nick Fol- no I'm just kidding uh <laughs> it's actually it's actually the same three guys that you picked but just in a slightly different order so okay. I have I have actually have Omar third also, like you said, really helped them with the win on Saturday. Great in the shootout. I have McAvoy second, you know, big power play goal there uh, late. And, you know, he's been a rock back there. Only one on the team actually playing over 20 minutes at 24 minutes a game. So been a rock. And then uh, I had Coyle first. I think he's been as advertised. Well, not as advertised, but everybody was looking for a fill-in for Krejci at second line center. And and so far, you know, knock on wood, he's been as good as you could have hoped and, and producing. So. Uh, I had Coyle first. Connor, how about your three beauties this week? I'll go for my third one. I'll go with, uh, again, a guy I kind of mentioned earlier, but I think DeBrusque was, you have to be encouraged by what he showed, especially on the road. I think he was generating chances. One of the few guys that was kind of getting into great AIs against, you know, Frederick Anderson and Bobrovsky and at least making something happen in terms of planning himself down low. The shots, you weren't getting it from up high or what have you. So he, wasn't, he was kind of negated a bit in terms of what he can kind of bring you when he's kind of just planted out down there. But I think just in terms of building his game, and working it up, uh, especially in that third line where they're still looking for some sort of identity. I think you have to be encouraged by what he's shown so far. Um, number two, I'll go with Omar, who I think, as you said, got better as that game went on. There was that kind of stretch there. I think it was in the second period against Florida where they almost had like ozone time for like two and a half minutes and had five or six grade A looks. And it was pretty much Omar on an island and he kept them afloat in that game. So I think from the Bruins, they always 
envision that it was going to be a continued build up to his game, getting him back up to speed. And I think you've seen it. I think he's gotten better with every kind of period of hockey he's had in a Bruins sweater, which is encouraging for them. And number one, I'll go with Coyle, who I think whether it be, uh, you know, getting back at center and playing well on Saturday or, you know, when he was shifted over to the wing, you're always worried, you know, moving guy out of his position. Uh, is it, you know, that change going to affect the way he plays or his confidence or what have you? I think he's been very confident in the Ozone so far, which is a great development for the Bruins. Like, again, you're not looking for him to be the next David Krejci of putting up 60 plus points, but to see him be assertive with the puck. I mean, even that, that goal on a Saturday, weird angle. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from a shot like that, but to pick the corner like that, so as a guy who's, you know, one willing to take, you know, put pucks on net, which is encouraging for his game. And uh, I think it's just a big step in the right direction to see him so confident in the offensive zone. I mean, last year, I don't think he hit five points until they were, you know, I think it was 18, 17, 18 games into the season. So to have him, you know, set string and Taylor points, be assertive in the offensive zone so far is a step in the right direction. And then when you've got Craig Smith back and Taylor Hall, hopefully kind of, you know, research his game, it can only lead to more things and more points down the road for Coyle if he plays the way he's playing right now. All right. So now our Bruins Benders top seven power rankings. All right. And Connor, you can tell us if we're way off or if we missed anybody in this one. Teaser, Bruins are not in the top seven. They were last uh, week. Number five, they dropped out this week. They dropped out. See, number seven, new entry, Washington, undefeated on the air. Capitals, undefeated or undefeated this week? No, undefeated, 5 and 3 New York Rangers in at six. Five, the St. Louis Blues. Four, the Edmonton Oilers, who have gotten off to a great start. I'm not sure how long it'll last, but they've been great. Number three is Calgary Flames, six-game winning streak. So they go in at three, and then... Two is Florida, and number one, Carolina Hurricanes, who are undefeated still. That seems about right. I've tried to think of any other guys you guys are missing, but those all seem pretty accurate. I mean, Calgary is a team that's really surprised me of how good. I mean, Markstrom's been on a heater, which has helped them quite a bit, but that team seems like everything is clicking from some of the issues they've had in the past. You kind of hear them now, like, getting tossed around with the Eichel rumors, which right. is intriguing, but also might make a lot of sense for all parties involved. Like, one, Calgary has guys that they can move, and there's kind of a need for him in that spot. Again, I don't know how excited the NHL would be about uh, American-born right. guy like Eichel being up in Calgary, but right. you know, they, they've looked great so far. As you said, I think Carolina is probably the, the cream of the crop right now in terms of uh, how they play. I mean, this is a team that loses Dougie Hamilton. You lose some key pieces there. People are like, all right, you're moving to Delkovich who, you know, was fantastic last year. You get Frederick Anderson, like how much gas does he have? It's testament to, I think, the way they play, the way they're structured. Rod Brindamore, I think, is a great coach that, you know, they've put kind of the pieces in place to keep on thriving with, with their system and the way it works. So uh, they're going to be a tough out as always. I, I still think Florida, that lineup is terrifying. You just look, I mean, like it says, it's an indictment on or a statement about how good they are in their depth that, you know, let's say the Bruins got Sam Reinhart. He'd be what? Penciled in the second line right away. Like this is, he's on the third line for that Florida team. And this is a guy who last year, I think had like a, a 37 goal pace over 80 games with Buffalo when he was with them last year. So that team's got depth all across the board. Uh, Mackenzie Weger is one of the most underrated defensemen, except when he plays the Bruins. I think when he plays the Bruins, he either gets punched in the face or dangled, but uh, <laughs> that that team looks legit too. And there's always, I think the jury has to be out a little bit on Bobrovsky of how he handles over the course of an entire year. But Spencer Knight's also a pretty good backup plan to have there as well. So like that team, that team's going to be in the thick of it all the way through this year. All right, so the bottom three. <laughs> okay, so last week we had Montreal at 32, Chicago at 31, and Arizona at 30. I said Montreal was going to be last for every single episode <laughs> as long as we did this. Just because even if they had a better record than the Bruins, they were going to be last because it's Montreal and I hate them. So we were going to, that's what we were going to do. But for this week, we are going to give an exception and we are going to put Chicago at 32 because that is an absolute shit show and a disgrace to the league. And everyone should be embarrassed that was in that organization. You know, when all that went down, Kyle Beach and all that stuff, uh, Quinville resigns, Shovel Dayoff somehow gets no punishment at all. I, I don't know no what's goodness. going on there. Bowman resigns. So that's an absolute shit show. So Blackhawks 32, Montreal <laughs> up one to 31. But hey. Guess what? Next week, back to 32 assholes. And then yes. uh, Arizona still, uh, I believe, is still winless. 0-8-1. Yeah. yeah. Arizona 0-8-1. Right. So, uh, yeah, you're 30th. Chicago's 0-7-2. And, and Montreal is 2-8. and 8. 
but they've only scored 19 goals and they're minus 15. Uh, that's the bottom of the barrel. Connor, do you have anything to add to that? You want to pile on any of those teams? <laughs> uh, I would imagine that a lot of those teams are going to be in those spots for most of the year. I think, as you said, Chicago warrants that last spot. I mean, embarrassing, disgusting, just everything involved with how they've handled all of this for a decade plus uh, is embarrassing. And then even beyond that, the obvious of just product on the ice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fact that they're on the ice, it's been a disaster as well. Like who could have seen this coming that a team that should have probably rebuilt three, four years ago is like, you know what? Let's fast forward through this. Let's sign. Let's get Mark Andre Fleury. Let's throw a bunch of money at Seth Jones, who is a perfectly fine. Okay. Very, you know, maybe top pairing guy. He ain't worth nine and a half million. Uh, let's, 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 let's fast forward through this rebuild and see how it works. What do you know? It's a disaster. So uh, not only are they not rebuilding, now they've tied up with other bad contracts. Complete disaster. The fact that team was able to win three Stanley Cups with how incompetent they have guys steering the ship there is as uh, impressive as it is discouraging that you've had a lot better run organizations that have come up short on multiple chances of getting to a Stanley Cup. So yeah, that team warrants the last spot, but Montreal also looks like a complete wreck, which only bad thing about that is that it will not be fun if Shane Wright is in a uh, Hab sweater next year. Right. That is the one issue. Yeah. Or they suck the next year because the 2023 draft I think is getting comparisons to like the the Crosby Ovechkin draft or, oh. or not Crosby Ovechkin the, but like one of those ones where it was uh, you know Malkin uh, Ovechkin like They've got legit guys, whether it's Connor Bedard or they've got uh, this kid over in Russia who's already, I think, in the KHL at like 18 years old who's lighting it up. So you don't want Montreal to be the complete bottom of the barrel because you don't want those guys in hab sweaters tormenting the Bruins for the next decade plus. No, you don't. It is not great right now, though. That team does not look very good. You know, in Chicago's situation, you know, we say you know, what we say about them and being an embarrassment and such, but then you see the NHL response and you know this is kind of what the problem is. And Taylor Hall even mentioned it. It's a it's an old boys network and now the NHL gives them a $2 million fine, which it should have been like 10 million mm-hmm. and it should have been like a first round pick and, and all these other things, all those, all of that should have been gone. So now Chicago can stand up at the podium next year, more than likely with the number one pick in the draft, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that to me, that's like, that's just unbelievable. And that speaks to the league has always been a league that just sometimes you just scratch your head at some of the moves, whether it's PR, whether it's marketing, whether it's, you know, punishment, whether, you know, all, all of these things, safety, all of these things, and they continue to just have complete tone, you know, tone deafness. And, yeah. and, I, and I don't understand how Gary Bettman can say, okay, $2 million is a proper, you know, $2 million that, I mean, is nothing. No. I mean, it's especially a team like that. Okay. Chicago's that, that team yeah. to an original six team. It's nothing. So it's just it's just an embarrassment all the way through. And then the response was almost just as embarrassing. Oh, it was. It was. It really is. No, I mean, his presser today was embarrassing. Just like trying to put any positive spins on it of trying to overlook it. Like, again, hockey's the best game in the world. But it's so frustrating when the people who are running the show can't get out of their own way of ruining the product and ruining the culture and all these things. It would seem like layups to any uh, neutral party, I think, of looking at where the corrections need to be and the fact they're overlooking looking at and you know their handling of this and as you said like two million dollar fine i mean the arizona coyotes had like their own gym workouts for draft combines and lost a first round pick but chicago doesn't lose anything for that it's it's mind-boggling put any adjective that uh, among the many mind-boggling embarrassing disgusting all of it falls in line with what it's been the handling of this yeah, I mean, I think, you know, all the commissioners in all the different sports have had plenty of moments where they've looked terrible, you know, Goodell and Manfred and, and you know, Silver or whatever, maybe not so much as the other guys, but that press conference from Batman today might have been the worst press conference I've ever seen by a commissioner in any sport. It was yeah. pathetic. So anyways, <laughs> we move on to the week ahead. So this week coming up, the Bruins have Detroit on Thursday and then uh, they go to Toronto on Saturday. Uh, Detroit actually playing pretty well this season. Uh, I know they've dropped a couple in a row, but four and three. And then Toronto is, you know, four and four right along the same lines as the Bruins. They've won a couple in a row. So uh, still not the easiest week ahead for the Bruins, especially after, you know, sitting for four days before they have to take on Detroit. 
Yeah, no, not not great to have this time off and kind of sitting around, especially against a Detroit team that, as you said, maybe are not the most talented team, but so far are playing with plenty of effort, uh, a lot of younger players. So not exactly the, the matchup you want right out of the gate after so much time off, but um, be good to see them up against Toronto. It's always fun just to watch that matchup anyway. It's been a long time. As you said, they've been able to string some wins together, but it's also Toronto, so who knows what kind of team you're getting there. That should be a team that should have started off this year like 7-0-1, and they've been kind of scuttled out of the gate so good to see some old uh, Bruins friends and Andre Kasha and Nick Ritchie who Nick Ritchie who apparently is the problem with all of the Maple Leafs like no one's talking <laughs> yeah. about like right. Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews Nick Ritchie is the guy who's you know the house of cards is falling down on which couldn't see that coming with the Toronto media and the fans there but um, it's always just good anyway just considering it's been so long since they matched up to see kind of the new pieces in place and, and how those two teams because as much as you know let's say Toronto and Boston are off to the starts they want it's fair to assume they're probably going to meet each other at some point down the road, right? So it's it's always good to get that early preview and see how those two teams kind of score off against each other. All right, so we did, before we let you go, we did some predictions last week. First, the Bruins prediction for the season, and then a crazy, bold prediction. So I had Jake DeBrusque scoring 25 goals. Mindy, what did you have? I had uh, Brad Marchand winning the Hart Trophy. That's right. I mean, it's bold. Repairing relationships <laughs> and winning the high trophy. Yes. Uh, so what do, you, what do you think for the Bruins for the season and then any crazy, bold type predictions you might see happen? Well, let's see. The bull, I had to do a predictions one, a predictions post before the season started, and I always dread doing it because if there's any sport that you don't want to like put down in ink of what the predictions are. Yeah. So mine was that I had the Bruins going to the Stanley Cup final and losing to the Vegas Golden Knights, which uh, we'll see how that works out because I also at that point thought the <laughs> Bruins going to, you know, have a 30% power play and a few right. other things working their way. Also had them getting Thomas Hurdle and trading for him. So that's also okay. what maybe influenced well, yeah, it. Okay. But, you know, I'll, I'll stick with that. I think they get Hurdle and they go on another run uh, and, and okay. go from there. And lose to Vegas, who I had getting Jack Eichel, which also may not happen now because they've also, <laughs> uh, moved, you know, thrown some money around. But it's not set in stone yet. We don't know where Eichel's going to end up. So I'm, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to have Bruins fall to Vegas, which is maybe not what Bruins fans want to hear. But I have them going on at least one more run, and then we go from there. You can bet if that happens, we're going to tweet out this audio. Well, of course, <laughs> please do. Playoffs. And if they don't, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 under the rug. Yeah, it's that never happened. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, of we'll course, burn we'll burn it. Well, thanks, uh, Connor Ryan for the Boston Sports Journal. Always good to talk to you, my friend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye. Always good to have Connor Ryan from the Boston Sports Journal. He's a great follow. You want to follow him. Connor with one N, Ryan underscore 93 on Twitter. It's a great follow. Has great information. Uh, he's been with us on our other podcast, Sportsmanship Podcast, many times, and he's always willing to come on, and he gets great info. He's a great follow. And like we've said on our other podcasts, it's always good to have those young guys in the media, those grinders, get you the information. Yeah, he's great. He puts out great stuff on the Boston Sports Journal, so uh, you guys should go over there and subscribe to that and uh, you can check out all of Connor's writings as well as his uh, podcasts and uh, and so forth he does a nice podcast with Evan Marinowski called uh, Poke the Bear Bear, and he also does Bruins Bruins Beat as well so uh, he's out there he's out there in in the Bruins podcasting arena Mm -hmm. and you should check him out as well as check him out on our show because he was just on and he was great periodically (laughs) we'll have Evan on periodically what the hell Uh, so great thanks everyone for listening to the episode 2 it's been a really great start and uh, you know go Bruins have a great week everybody thanks a lot bye